Sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get about it, did you? You don't have to get about it, did you? Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devlano, Josh Parrish here in the studio on a Monday night. I still can't get over how good this intro is. Like, just the music, the vibes. It's the, it reminds me of the old times of Wednesday nights with Dave Davutovich here on Football Q&A. Good times. I, I feel like doing a bit of a dancing duva every time the music those, comes on. For those that obviously don't know, before we used to do live streams in, here in, the, FNR, in the before times. Yeah, we only used to obviously just do... The audio, like it's, like the proper radio. And you can still listen on the app if you want, yeah. if you don't want to see our beautiful yes. faces. And uh, when that theme song, just the backing track, not that entire intro, used to play for Dave's um, so, uh, show, Football Q&A, with the dulcet tones of Roddy Rodriguez? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Roddy Rodriguez. Would have been. Uh, saying, you know, Football Q&A with the Herald Sun's Dave Davutovich. He used to always, you know, start dancing like you've seen. Like if you've if you've seen the videos of him, you remember from the Euros of him with the Scottish fans. You think and that the, was the genesis of dancing Duva? I think it was because the Macedon. Remember him with the Macedonian fans, mm. you know, doing the before it was the, on camera. It was in the FNR studio in his him, chair, you know, like with the football Q and A yeah. music pumping. And um, when I remember seeing it. Like, looking at when Optus would post the social clips during the Euros, I'm like, I've seen this before. <laughs> I'm lucky I've seen this in the flesh. And then we had the joy of seeing Dave get swallowed up by thousands of Italians on a, almost a th- like two or three times Was a week. Was it a Piadina? It, Who knows? It's a... It's a it's a piadina. John Aloisi always tell you it was a toasty. Um, so just if you guys are watching on Twitch, get your comments in, get your questions in. Tanasi seventy seven. Oh yes, good day, Athos. Uh, asking where does Milan sit in the title race now that it won't have European football to worry about? I think it's a great thing that Milan actually finished fourth. We spoke about it last mm-hmm. week that if they don't make the round of sixteen, they cannot afford to go to the Europa League. And yes, they have missed out on the death zone, and it is great. So they can now focus solely on winning the Scudetto while... This man has changed his tune. I remember all the Europa League enthusiasm, you and Lockie sending the intro. Oh, the theme song music, is fantastic. The theme song to I each other. love the, the competition song. to be in. We love the Europa League. Yeah, last now season. that you're finally out of it, you know... You don't yeah, got to go discarded back. it. Do you it's... know what it was, Josh? It was Stockholm Syndrome, but I've got <laughs> overcome that. It, look, the theme song is unbelievable is. for the Europa League. Like It is, it is arguably better I, than the Champions League. I don't think it occupies the same um, cultural status as the Champions League No, but it's a better theme. theme song. In terms of an actual song, it is banging. Yeah, it's, it's the right. thing that annoyed me about last season that like that upset me was whenever I'd hear it, it'd have an empty stadium. So you, it just <laughs> didn't have the same sort of vibe. It's, it's bad um, acoustics when the yeah. stadium's empty. It's really echoey. Yeah, it just didn't sound right. It was like when you see the stadium announcers all the time, like still doing it, even when no <laughs> one was there. Um, but on that note, uh, Athos, I think it's very good for Milan because all the teams around them are still in Europe. Inter in the round of 16 for the Champions League for the first time in a while, which... For into last season, remember, they finished fourth in their group in the Champions League and they went on to, you know, romp everyone to win the Scudetto. Uh, Atalanta in the Europa League, mm-hmm. Napoli in the Europa League, Juventus, I mean, they're basically out of the hump, but they're still in the Champions League. 
I think Roma are in the next round of the Conference League, and I think Lazio as well qualified for the next round of the Europa League. Much to Jose Mourinho's chagrin. I think. Yeah, I think Mourinho is pulling his hair up. But hey, Jose, if you want to play Christian Volpato in these games, that would be really, really nice. Um, but yeah, so Milan, I think it works well for them. But the caveat that makes this season very different is a little tournament called the African Cup of Nations, which for not just Milan, but for Napoli, mm. is going to wreak havoc. And what we saw on the weekend, a bit of a teaser of how things could look with Milan's midfield without, well, I mean, it was a bit of a teaser, but seeing, I know I was very excited for his signing and how he played in his first loan deal, but with Tiame Bakayoko being at fault for the goal and now twice in his last two starts dropping absolute stinkers, um, I'm a little bit concerned about how things will be without Benacer and or Kessie. Um, but yeah, on that note, just quickly before we move on, Josh, we said we talk about La Liga, but I want to bring up something quickly about Christian Volpardo because today Graham Arnold actually quelled all the... You know, all the, the buzz, you know, the hype, the bolter. Yes, FTBL today said that he would be selected and they would use him as a victory cigar, essentially, to cap him, which is factually incorrect, just to put that, as we said last week. He has to play three, or I think actually now four, I, sort of, I thought I read as well, that four games, if it's not a World Cup, an actual FIFA World because Cup final. Because he's below a certain age. Yes, so they've the changed age of this recently, and they keep changing it, and it is very confusing. So yeah. you don't blame anyone for getting it wrong, to be So... Honest. Um, obviously, in that sense, he'd have to play four games. So we asked Graham Arnold today when they announced, obviously, they had the big announcement for the Socceroos being back in Melbourne, uh, playing Vietnam at the end of January, big World Cup qualifier. And we asked Arnie, we said, obviously, Christian Volpato is the talk of the town right now. Have you had conversations with him? Is he in the mix? What's the go? And he basically said, look, we've had conversations, like the FA have been in conversations with Christian, but at the end of the day, it's completely up to him. If he wants to go, he wants to play for Australia, great. If he doesn't, we can't control it. But he said, I'm not going to pick him, you know, and play him for a few minutes just to get get it done. He's like, he has to earn it. But also, it's not fair to Christian Volpato that his debut, think about it, maybe is, your international is tokenism, debut. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, tokenism. It's like it's a, it's a throwaway thing just to get you on the pitch and get it over and done with. It's like a diplomatic, you know, relations move in terms of thing that, you know, basically going, Italy, stuff you. We're going to cap him and play him for one minute against Vietnam. I don't think that's fair, and he said it as well. It's not fair to him because you want to have a memorable debut. I mean, talk about football admin. That's the ultimate football admin. Yeah, Just, uh, that is proper football bo- admin. A box-ticking exercise for a debut I don't yeah. approve of. So, yeah, and also Christian Volpato was not well, actually, he might be. He was in the Conference League squad, but he may play tomorrow when Roma play Spezia. Josh, let's move on to La Liga. Big weekend uh, with some massive results. Real Madrid 2-0 win over Atleti. Benzema and Asensio on the score sheet. But the game that caught everyone's attention, Barcelona on the road to Osasuna. And, yes, they dropped points again. Um, it was Ezekiel Avia with the late equaliser, which drew some amazing celebrations but not so much for Barcelona, who continued. It hasn't really all gone to plan so far for Xavi, but uh, two points dropped for the Catalan Giants. I don't think it's realistic to expect Barcelona to bounce back. Xavi's not Sam Allardyce. He's not a firefighter. <laughs> He's not coming in there to get results. You know, they're not battling relegation. They're entering a new phase yeah. of the club where they basically can't sign anyone. They have to go ultimate Catalan. They have to go... With what they've got. Uh, basically, they, they, they went with no wingers. On three, weekend. three, three, one, apparently. Yeah, that's how it comes up on the FopMob and uh, other uh, sort I of think lineup it was, I think it's more of a 3-4-3. Three, three. It's I more think... of a 3-4-3 three, three diamond. Yeah. Uh, still not 
playing Frankie Dion in the position that he should be because Sergio Busquets continues to occupy that role and, and gather dust in that number six position. What or would you describe Sergio Busquets as right now? If like as, as like an object, would you describe him as just like an old book that's sitting on the bookshelf but you don't want to get rid of it out of sentimental value or like an old vase? Yeah, he he's a bit of a dead weight, I think. Yeah. Um, he's, you look, don't want to get rid of it. it. It's funny looking at like that game against Bayern in the Champions League and thinking back to when they were annihilated 5-0 over two legs. And so many of those players are still there. Mm. You know, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, Gerard Piquet, even Danny Alves, they've re-signed. You know, he didn't play. But um, I think they need to have a bit of a, a reset and a clean out and go with the kids. And, you know, Xavi, to, to keep everybody happy in the absence of results, Xavi's just got to go hard on the Cruyff propaganda and the absolute, like, Barcelona Kool-Aid. Just, just, yeah. go, just go full Kool-Aid. I guess it's Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid. Um, but don't make them pay for it because you know what happens when you make players <laughs> pay for fruity drinks. <laughs> hey, Ibra's not, not there anymore. I think uh, I don't think Luke de Jong is going to be kicking up the fuss. Uh, but this game was interesting because Barcelona almost were lucky to get the draw that they did because the goal that they scored... Uh, well, one of the goals that they scored uh, that put them up 2-1 came immediately after the one of the defenders cleared the ball into Sergio Busquets' hand. Mm. It was one of those where he tries to draw his hand away, but in doing so makes it the actually, handball all yeah. the more obvious because the ball hits his hand and then it flies up above yeah. his shoulder and um, the Osasuna players are going crazy. The ball goes straight up the other end on the counterattack and a bit similar to that famous Watford goal from Troy Deeney oh, in that yeah, playoff the, match. Yeah. It was a similar sort of back post volley, the end-to-end action. It reminded me a lot of that. VAR! And, <laughs> of course, all of the Osasuna players surrounding the referee, yep. urging him to go to VAR and overturn it. But he would have had to give a penalty and raise the goal. Hmm. So that's a two-goal swing. And you don't do that to Barcelona no. in La Liga. So it didn't happen. Osasuna got their equaliser right at the end of the match in the 86th minute, and the celebrations were great. Osasuna have a fantastic stadium, by the way. They've got yeah. standing room only behind the goals. It's safe standing with the rails. Oh, nice. And it went absolutely nuts in there. It was packed out. The uh, player who scored, Avia, standing on top of the advertising hoardings and sort of arms out saluting the baying crowd and the the. Uh, Talking of ground announcers earlier, yeah. they sound a lot better in full stadiums, but this yeah. guy was going full Latin American commentator yeah. on it, just on, just the, on the stadium PA, it. just going, go, 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 over and over again. It was it's just great scenes, absolute limbs, and uh, Barcelona dropped points yet again, whereas uh, their big rivals, Real Madrid, continue to extend their lead at the top of the table. I've got, got a quick thing before we completely move away from Barcelona I want to ask you now. We are keen observers of El Chiringuito. <laughs> um, and I've got to ask for your thoughts on this. So, I don't know if you saw this from last week, but they used their super zoom on the camera and zoomed right in on Rike Pig as he was leaving the ground after Barcelona got eliminated from the Champions League. And on his iPad, he was watching Money Heist. <laughs> and it was like this big crime that after the game, as he's getting onto the bus, he's watching Money Heist. I mean, what should he have been watching? Like every, like they're saying he should be watching the replay of the game. I don't think it's even available yet. <sighs> it's well, like, come on, let he's a young kid still. Like, let him have his entertainment. He didn't. I don't even think he even played. The guy's been rotting on the bench all season. I mean, just let him blow off some steam. Jeez, I know. 
I mean, no wonder players are so closed off to the media. No wonder the the only media personality that players seem to want to talk to in interviews in Spain is that random Twitch, Twitch streamer. Yeah. Because he makes them feel comfortable. When you've got a sensationalist media in Spain, I'm, I'm taking this way too seriously for mm. El Chiringuito, but uh, when you've got a media in Spain who's like hyper-analyzing every little detail, no wonder everybody covers their mouths well, when they talk to each yeah. other. It's just... Just well, when you've fun. got, you know, it's toxic. Jose Pedro, you know, sitting there in a chair with an hourglass at the moment, rubbing his hands together, waiting, tick-tock. The Chavi effect And you've got, over. you know, Soria Cristobal yelling and coming in with a fan and everything and just the absolute madness of El Chiringuito. I've got to say, though, like, El Chiringuito is great entertainment. It's like Jerry Springer do, for football. But how do people, like, do, do people in Spain, just out of curiosity, do they take it seriously or are they, like, aware that this is just some sort of entertainment that they can watch late at night where they can switch off their brains for an hour and just go, this is just a laugh. Because they take this really seriously. I mean, there's a significant commitment to the bit on behalf of the presenters. And the production as well. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, like, they really... It's really hammy, but I... I mean, surely the viewers find this humorous. Yeah. Like... I, like the, some of the stuff they do with the camera work, like there was one <laughs> the zooms uh, where one of the Barcelona supporting presenters, I don't know all their names, um, was decrying the state of Barcelona. And then they did a split screen kind of fade that looked like a dream <laughs> sequence with Thomas Rancero's gr- just grin on the other side. And it was just... I've got to ask, would you like to see an El Chiringuito of Australian football? Ooh. Or is that already the national curriculum? <laughs> <laughs> now, there's too much serious analysis on that. Maybe that's what we can do here at FNR. We can do something completely over the top. You know, I, I reckon Christian Volpato would be the biggest talking point in episode one. Could you imagine us like just some, having like a camera outside of, say, Amy Park, just like we're zooming in on what, say, Andrew Naboo is watching on his phone <laughs> as he's leaving or like what, you know... I don't know, like what Roderick, what Portuguese reality show Roderick Miranda's watching or what Francesco Marajota gets up to. Like, I just think it would be complete madness. Look, I don't think it should happen because I think it would just be complete chaos. I think mm. Santo Sam and Ed would be great, but that's a story for another day. But, um, yeah, look, it's a good laugh. I just hope people in Spain don't take it too seriously. That's one thing for certain. I, I don't think anyone cares enough about the A-League like to it's not life and death for people so i don't think a show like that would work because it just wouldn't be believable you wouldn't be able to suspend your disbelief the the afl try to do it through a show called bounce and i'm it's nowhere near el chiringuito i I think there's too much cultural cringe as well to be able to carry it off i mean it It would be funny though it it would be hilarious maybe yeah as you said maybe if and i need to trial it because there's there's too many people who aren't tribal about australian football in that that way and just want it there's too much Re- it's funny that I'm saying this, but there's too much like reasoned debate on like what's good for the future of the game, and there's not enough just absolute like nuffery. tribal mud slinging yeah. enoughery in the discourse for that kind of thing to work, and that honestly is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, quickly before we move on from La Liga, just in terms of the results, Real Betis. We spoke about him before. Four 0 win over Real Sociedad. Do you remember the player called Juan Me? One me. Yes, I do. The winger played for Southampton. He is on fire this season. I was having a look at his stats before. He is up to now, I believe, ten go- well, 12 goals in all competitions this season playing out wide. And I've got to say, this Real Betis team are so, so good. That front line, Nabil Fakir, William Jose, Sergio Canales, Andres Guadardo in midfield. They've got Hector Bellerin, who is part-time footballer, full-time model at fullback and Alberto Moreno. They've really got, they've really got the, they're really rolling out the big guns. A lot of um, the old Premier League names, but 
They are fun. I got to give it to them. They are a really, really good team, and, and they currently sit third. And this is the team that Aiden Hrustich wants to start in. I don't think, don't think you're going to change <clears> winning, winning <throat> formula. Is the, the profile of player that Real Betis would look at though? Like he's got like the perfect kind of characteristics to be like a player in their squad. Yeah, but whether he starts, I mean, they won, they've won four on the bounce. They're flying. I love it. I love Betis. I think they've they've always been so entertaining, even when they were dysfunctional, because mm. it was just end to end chaos, and they yeah. would score so many goals and concede so many goals. So they were they were appointment viewing, so a bit like the Jets of the Jets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just I just don't think you play. I'm I love that they're doing so well. They're not going to put up a title challenge though, and no one seems to be able to in no. Spain this year against Madrid with Modric sort of. Def- defying uh, the passage of time, Vinny Jr. on fire. And uh, the folks over at Marker, those uh, mm. notoriously objective journalists at, at Marker, uh, seems to seem to be pushing the line that Vin- Vinicius Jr., or Vinny Jr., as he's going by yeah. now, is the best player in the world. Wow. Big call. I don't think he's even the best player at Madrid. No. I think there's a certain man by the name of Karim Benzema who, or, and Luka Modric. I mean, I just didn't say Luka Modric and I heard a rumble from the West um, from a certain Mr. Jukic. So Mr. Um, uh, Juan Ignacio Garcia Ochoa, writing for Marca, in this, this is translated, of course, but there is, uh, it says, after the derby, there are still some who find it hard to recognize his merits. Uh, so don't listen to haters. But today, there is no better player in the world than Vinicius. The Brazilian unbalanced the derby. Mm, Spanglish there, but mm. anyway. With two assists, which is what he was missing. In the season in which he broke out as a star with goals and dribbles, he also gave wonderful assists to his teammates. Two of his passes to Benzema and Asensio broke the duel against Atletico. The first, lifting his head and putting it up to Karim. The second, a measured pass from underneath, raising his head, which is what he was criticised for. That is a good point. His end product is improving. Yeah. He is becoming more and more composed. Absolutely. The goal that Benzema scored in this derby was absolutely beautiful. It was just mm. Modric makes the interception in midfield. Casemiro takes over. Flowing move. Vinicius Jr. gets his head up on the flank, just chips it in delicately, and it's a beautiful side volley from Benzema into the bottom corner. So it was a great goal. Uh, but I think he's got some way to go, Vinny Jr., before he's recognised as the, the best, best in, the in the world. I think they're going a... very early here. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, private equity in football, La Liga, approving a CVC deal. Tell us a bit about what's going on there and a bit of opposition from uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and the boys from the Basque. Well, yeah. the boys at the club from the Basque. Uh, Athletic, yeah. Athletic Bilbao uh, uh, against it as well. But La Liga have approved a... 2.1 billion euro investment deal with a private equity firm called CVC Capital Partners. Uh, they were voting in a La, Liga, a La Liga General Assembly on Friday. 37 of Spain's 42 first and second tier clubs voted in favour of the deal with only those three aforementioned teams mm-hmm. um, voting against them from the uh, from the top tier. Yeah. Um, and then one club abstained, I think. Um, so they needed a basically a two-thirds majority, so yep. they needed 32. They got 37. This means that Spanish clubs will receive uh, additional funding, obviously, with this massive chunk of money, mm. I think spread over quite a few years. But it also means that CVC Capital Partners get 8.2% of La Liga's TV rights for the next 50 years. Which is insane. 50 years. Insane. 
Absolutely insane. And as uh, Jean Laporte said, it's like mortgaging the club's rights over the next half century. It's mortgaging the future to pay for the present. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the, ne- the 400 million uh, euros can now be dispersed to clubs over the next few weeks. Um, the Federation president, Luis Rubiales, uh, has come out publicly against it. But Javier Tebath, uh, mm. the La Liga president, so yeah. obviously they have separate league and, and federation. Yeah. Uh, has backed it despite a lot of criticism from the Federation. Um, It's interesting. This seems to be something they've tried to do to uh, balance the the books after the Super League failed. But the clubs that wanted to join the Super League are largely largely against it. Obviously, they've lost a lot of money due to COVID. And this is a recession in Spanish football at the moment. But I... I think this is a bit of a dangerous deal. Mm. I, to me, it seems a little bit short-sighted. It's a lot of money, and they did get a lot of money from the uh, the US, mm. uh, I think it's the ESPN rights deal, yeah. uh, was hugely profitable as well. So they've cashed in, but I'm not sure about this. I mean, I wonder if COVID wasn't a thing, if that happens. You know, is this a thing as not just as a bounce back, obviously from the Super League stuff? Is this a thing, maybe a COVID sort of recovery I, kind of plan for the to, to save the the it's now like a stimulus to, package? Yeah, isn't it? like a bit of a like taking a loan, but you're basically selling your your next fifty years, selling your soul to the devil for that period of time. It is interesting. Um, I'm surprised that we, well, I mean, there's been always rumblings about you know sort of different sort of deals being done with leagues around Europe to recuperate the losses of no fans and everything else for the past or for the season and a half or so that, you know, they were had to play with no one. Um, and I'll tell you what, there probably be more leagues around Europe that may follow a similar suit because clubs are still bleeding cash. You know, in CDR, the big thing is right now is that the clubs aren't turning a profit because they're not allowing hundred percent capacity yet. And a lot of the smaller clubs are the teams suffering the most? It's not necessarily like Milan or Inter get 60,000 people in the Sun City, but say for a team like, you know, Spezia or Venezia who have the small five, 10,000 seat stadium and they can mainly get about 4,000 in there because of COVID capacity. So you have to wonder is City are going to maybe take a similar route. We know their ties with the golf and that's been, you know, sort of you've seen the murky waters mm. with Bean and, you know, the rights there with their dealings with Saudi Arabia and potentially selling off more games there to play. We've seen it all. We've heard rumblings of La Liga games being played as well in America with the whole ESPN thing. We've heard the Premier League apparently looking at playing games the 39th overseas. round, famously. I don't think that's yeah. ever going to happen Hell, in the Premier League. Even as recent as last week, there was a report in the Herald Sun about potentially staging a Premier League game. I don't know if it was just poorly worded, but a Premier League game in Melbourne. And it was like, okay, since when? Like, I mean, this, this story talking? comes up like every, like clockwork every yeah. three to five years, and it's never, never going to get the support mm. uh, that it requires from the clubs, and also crucially from the fans, because you know English football fans, match going fans, are pretty puritanical about their competition, yeah. as we saw, and it was their opposition to the Super League that largely sunk it. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona still seem to think the Super League is going to happen. Which um, is ridiculous to even uh, think about. Even Juventus still they, think probably to an extent. They still think they they can they can wrangle this uh, and get it out, out from the yeah. fire. But I I do think this is also driven by an inflationary pressure, which is artificial, and that is the money bags golf clubs. We basically states backing them. Mm. Newcastle now um, will be a massive factor coming yeah, into the transfer the window. Kingdom, yeah. um, obviously. Qatar and PSG, obviously Abu Dhabi and the City Group. 
this, this is what is driving all these clubs to desperation, not just COVID, but the fact that they're trying to compete with astonishing Countries, wage demands yeah. with, with sovereign states backing yeah. clubs. And I don't think selling your soul to a hedge fund is the answer to that, nor do I think a Super League is the answer to mm. that. I think the answer is to ban sovereign states from owning European football clubs. Yeah, and apparently, apparently, um, you know, the Saudis... Or introducing tick, tick salary caps. Boxes. Well, I mean, the only example of salary caps in European football right now, well, technically European, but it's in League One. In like, There's been a lot of conjecture yeah, about in, in League the football One about league, yeah. how that now to sort of equalise it because you have a lot of those bigger clubs, Sunderland, now Wigan as well, with their new ownership in League One. How they there's always been talk like how can these clubs afford these players? But at the end of the day, they're fitting under a salary cap. It's this, it's a pretty big salary cap. At the end of the day, it's League One. It's not the A League. Yeah. But still, I mean, it does allow for teams like you see Plymouth Argyle rising up. You know, you see other sort of smaller League One, recently promoted League Two teams starting to shoot up the table because it's an equalisation method. I don't think that would go down very well in the big leagues, though. I don't Probably know how that would go down in, say, the Premier League or the Serie A. Uh, I think a, a redistributive luxury tax, um, salary cap plus luxury tax arrangement would be fantastic. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Could you imagine if there was like a sim- it's like a system like the NBA where like you're just getting the, trades? The and, problem is, you know, because football is a global sport, it's harder to control those dynamics. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the players' union would like it. I, I don't think the big clubs would go for it because there's always rent-seeking in places mm. where it doesn't apply. So honestly, this has to come from UEFA. Yeah. Or has to come from FIFA. FIFA. And I don't think FIFA are going to do that. Let's be real. I think FIFA's concern right now is to get another World Cup in, which I think is BS. Taking money out of the game is not in FIFA's remit in the interests of of balance. Um, Just quickly, uh, let's quickly... I know we didn't mention this off the top, but I just saw this recently, um, just as we're getting getting our points together. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, um, he's come out and said he regretted not getting vaccinated earlier. I mean, COVID right now in Europe is starting to hit, I believe, a fourth wave. There's been lockdowns in Germany, fans banned from stadiums there. Same in Holland and some other states, uh, lockdowns of unvaccinated people in those countries. And I've got to ask the question, with the rise of Omicron, now I know we're not epidemiologists here and we're not, you know, we don't, I mean, the, the political, there's a poor, in, I'm not in, a scientist, in, but to paraphrase um, Ange Postacoglu, I'm not an ologist no, of any kind. But in terms of the situation, do you think that some of these European countries, considering how much more COVID there is over there, there needs to be a look at mandatory vaccination for players similar to here? Because I mean, I mean we, the we don't have mandatory vaccination for players. We have mandatory vaccination for venues, and that's a different thing. Well, there's in Victoria, it's mandatory for professional athletes. Okay, yeah, all right. But um, I'm saying, like, do you think the AFL it's has not a mandatory wide one? though? I mean, you know, there are some players who can play. Home games, but they can't play away yes, games. Yes, but I mean, in some leagues in Australia, in different codes, it is mandatory now. Do you think that they should look at some sort of situation? In the NFL, they've got a mm. this, and same with the NBA, a system where basically if you're vaccinated, you live a normal life outside of, you know, when you're not part of the team. But when, if you're unvaccinated, you have to live by a specific set of rules, you know, to be fit, you know, mandatory, like regular testing and everything else. Because we're seeing recently with a lot of teams right now, we're going through deja vu again. A lot, Tottenham has been the big one. Um, outbreaks at clubs right now. And it's a bit concerning because I remember hearing months ago that 
in some of the Premier League teams, and I think it'd be the same probably at some of the clubs around Europe, that there's large uptakes of players that aren't vaccinated right now. There was a situation mm. actually at Wigan where um, their striker, Charlie Wyke, he collapsed at training and everyone thought it was because he was vaccinated. All this hocus-pocus conspiracy around, you know, players collapsing because they've been vaccinated. He was unvaccinated and had a completely different sort of, you know, like had a completely different heart-related issue. But we're seeing situations where these outbreaks are happening and we're seeing there's a lot of talk that players are believing conspiracy theories because they're a lot younger and uneducated. We spend a lot of time on on social social media. media, in, In around, you know, when they're at training and everything else. Is it going to get to a point where the Premier League, or not even the Premier League, but leagues around Europe, the UEFA as a governing body, need to look at some sort of system because these outbreaks among in clubs are going to keep happening regardless of if players are vaccinated you can have lower quarantine I think, I think this is an ethical and legal question that we're probably not qualified to answer uh, but look I think the the effects are clear like Joshua Kimmich, uh, you mentioned him. He's not going to play until next year mm. because he has a, a, a complication from the virus, a lung problem um, that will rule him out. And, you know, he's having trouble breathing apparently. So, mm. you know, he can't play. And, you know, he hasn't had the vaccination. And maybe if he had, he wouldn't have such serious um, effects. So, mm. um, look, I obviously I would prefer as an immunocompromised person that everybody around me was vaccinated and... Uh, I'm sure that leagues and clubs would prefer their players took it up as well. I liked the interview Mo Salah did recently with an Egyptian publication where basically he said, um, look, I don't know anything about this. I'm a professional athlete. I'm going to listen to the people who've dedicated their lives to studying this. Mm. Like, it just makes yeah. sense. But if you, can't edu- if you can't convince your players, you can't educate them, you can't bring in people to speak to them and address their concerns, I, I don't know what else you can do to, to keep the whole thing Rolling, yeah. Because if if we start getting masses of fixtures being postponed, it's already started. It's already starting. I, I, I do, I do wonder whether that's sustainable. And you you see quickly when you threaten somebody somebody's livelihood quickly, their uh, typically their stance changes. Let's move on quickly before we go, Josh. We've got, we've got to run out of time before we dive too go too far down the rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, Drew Bellingham fined, no suspension. I mean, fair enough. Forty yeah. grand—that's enough out of the pocket. <laughs> I I find it interesting that uh, Rafa Honigstein in the Athletic has welcomed Bellingham's comments, um, not because he thinks it was the right thing to say, or because he thinks he shouldn't have been fined, because it's actually uh, directing scrutiny on refereeing and appointments in Germany that maybe hadn't yeah. previously happened, and. Uh, you talk about the match-fixing scandal this guy was involved in. Um, he ended up turning witness for the prosecution, mm-hmm. um, and then he was basically escaped without a conviction. Um, th- he didn't actually do anything to influence the game because yeah. sometimes when you fix a match, the team that you wanted to win wins anyway, and you didn't have yeah, to intervene it's not, anyway. It's not the Luciano Moji situation no. of selecting different referees, and you know he was given three hundred yeah. euros by someone who was orchestrating this um, and saying, you know, I've got to make sure this team wins today. He accepted the bribe; mm. um, they won anyway, and but then he yeah. stewed on it for quite a while, and then he ended up self-reporting, going to being a whistleblower. Yeah, so it's not quite the same as saying this guy is a match fixer, but the controversy about this is this guy was able to continue refereeing and then uh, rise to the top of German football as their best referee 
over the next 10 years mm. because the Federation kept it secret. Yeah. So, I mean, in the interest of transparency, uh, I, I think that Bellingham's comments are, are welcome. Um, they, obviously, they, they, it was um, publicized. Otherwise, Bellingham wouldn't have necessarily yeah. known about it. So he wasn't breaking the story. Mm. Uh, it was publicized by a, by a German newspaper a few years ago. Uh, but I think it's directed more focus on this, and that's probably a good thing given the way that the German FA tried to sweep this under the rug. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he was always going to get fined. Uh, it was a compelling defense from the club saying he was just stating facts. Yeah. I think we're a bit beyond that. Just, I, think it were, I don't think he can go out and say that in a post-match interview about yeah. a referee, um, but he's taken one for the team and... Uh, <laughs> You know, good on him. Yeah. Uh, quickly before we go, Josh, any fixtures you're looking forward to in the next week or so? Next week, I believe it may be one of our final shows for 2021 as well. So anything you're yeah. looking forward to over the next week or so? Heading into Christmas time, uh, there are obviously breaks for most of uh, these European leagues. Uh, but Serie A's got quite a few games uh, mm. coming up uh, before the break. The last game is on the 23rd of December. Milan-Napoli next Monday is going to be oh interesting boy. to see what kind of team Napoli are w- I'm able to put out. I think Manolas was on the bench, so maybe he mm-hmm. can come back into the starting on the bench, try and solidify that defense and, and get them back to somewhere approaching where they were at the start of the season with that electric yeah. form. Um, elsewhere in Europe, I mean... La Liga is already kind of looking over, to be honest. Madrid is surging ahead, but I think Sevilla, Atletico Madrid will be a good game. Sevilla, always good to watch. Atletico, I'm interested to see whether Diego Simeone is willing uh, to put Griezmann and Joao Felix in the same starting eleven because they don't mm. seem to be compatible in his plans, no. let's say. And that disappoints me given how much money they spend on Joao Felix and given how, how highly I regard him. They seem to replace each other yeah. a lot of the time and that's disappointing and it's annoying because Atletico on paper improved in the offseason and the product on the field has actually got worse. Yeah, so which I is think a concern. That, that needs to turn around because at a certain point, if you're still playing underdog football with a with a team as talented as this squad, yeah. then you're holding the club back. And that's an extraordinary thing to say about Simeone, I know, given yeah. how much he's done for... Atleti, but I'm I'm keen to see him modify his approach slightly. Just a mm. few concessions to uh, maybe putting a few more attacking players out in the park yeah. at the same time because you know Griezmann does a lot of defensive running. He's not a liability out there. I think Atletico could be a lot better than uh, what they're showing. So ho- hoping to see that against Sevilla. For me, Josh, the game obviously. As you mentioned, Milan Napoli is going to be massive next month. That's been earmarked in the fixture for a very long time. It's a shame it's not first, first, second anymore, but it's going to be a cracker nonetheless. If you're a bit of a football hipster, tune in on Sunday night. Fiorentina Sassuolo at 10.30 p.m. next Sunday. That is going to be an absolute belter, in the words of a certain uh, Football Victoria commentator. But it is... (laughs) Going to be a cracking game if you want to watch high-octane end-to-end football. And if you haven't watched Dusan Vlahovic, as we've spoken a lot about him, you want to gauge your own opinions, this is your chance to do it. And there's a lot of other players on that Sassuolo side. If you love those Mm. up-and-coming youngsters, a man by the name of Gianluca Scamacca and Giacomo Raspadori, they're the two to look out for. So if you've got a game that you want to watch, it's at a good time of 10.30. Oh, nice. Okay. There's a lot of uh, Formula One fans who are finishing up for the season. They need something new to watch on a Sunday night. This is your ticket. 
I'm, I'm telling you now, if you love football and you are a Formula One fan, you want to watch something on Sunday night, which won't have a dubious finish, this is the <laughs> one you want to go and suss. You cannot promise there'll that, be, Nick. There'll be no safety laps this time around. It'll be high-octane <laughs> end-to-end football. And, uh, it'll and be you can watch Dushan Vlajevic and see if, whose side you come down on. Are you Team Josh or Team Nick? Yeah. You, uh, me with my nerdy stats or Nick looking at the goals tally and saying... He's pretty yes. good. And uh, if you just love great strikers as well, just watch on the other side of the pitch because a man named Gianluca Scamacca, who is literally just an absolute baller, and he has the look of just pure cult figure. I, w- I wouldn't want to run into him in a dark no, alley, let's be honest. No, and neither would I want to run into his dad either. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Uh, it's time for us to say goodbye here on the Euro Show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Missed any of it, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Wherever you get your podcasts, catch up on it. Even go back to Facebook or Twitch. Go watch the live stream if you want to see our face. But we'll be back again for the final episode of 2021 next Monday night from 6 p.m. Nick DeBarno, Josh Parrish here in the studio. We'll see you then. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get a bad You don't have to get a bad Attaccare! Attaccare!